podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's going everyone? Welcome to a new video from Fantasy Football Scout. We're back ahead of game week 12 after a seemingly long international break, but in a period, ahead of a period of really busy FPL-ness, 40 days worth, 10 game weeks to go. And I'm joined by Late Riser. How are you, buddy? Hi, Ted. How are you doing? Uh, just uh, waking up from the slumber before the chaos that is uh, going to be in front of us in the next month and a half. And I'm ready for it. Um, I feel like the batteries are recharged and bring on the football. Tell me about it. I, I've not really thought about football for a whole week, which is unheard of. But um, I'm back. I'm trying to get reinvigorated. And this is, the, this is a good way of doing it. Let's talk about FPL. Lots to talk about, really, and um, I've tried to remind myself in the preparation for this about what the talking points are, and it seems like there's more than we actually think. Like the Spurs boys have got good fixtures. Callum Wilson, is he someone to consider? Which forwards do we pick? I mean, it seems like we were talking before video, and you were saying it seems like the status quo of FPL is a bit of like a, a low-risk environment right now, right? Yeah, it is, because... The captaincy is pretty much null and void. Uh, it's sort of like a stalemate in the game at the moment. And uh, it might come into play maybe a few weeks later. But at the moment, because everybody is captaining Mo Salah, uh, everything else that you do is sort of low risk because uh, you know you don't have so much effective ownership at stake. So you can afford to play your own game as long as you're captaining Salah at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. I, it's almost like yeah. captaincy has been removed from the game, isn't it? It's... Uh... We have to find different ways of getting bigger and bigger green arrows. And I know that you've, that you've been trying that and credit to you. It hasn't quite been paying off with some of the hits, but I think just keep going with it. And uh, you've got some, some moves lined up for this week. We'll come to those uh, eventually. But let's have a look at how you got on in game week 11. So we've got your team up on screen, 65 points. And um, you made one transfer, was it? Yes, yes. I sold a Rafinha for Diego Jota, so a net seven points lost and that on that move but uh, no regrets because let's face it that Rafinha goal was pretty much a cross and in my opinion he fluked a goal but you don't it's it's always about looking at the uh, process right and in my head I always told myself that whenever uh, Diego Jota emerged as an opportunity if one of the Liverpool front three got injured you go in because he's 7.5 million playing striker for the most attacking team in the league. It's too much of a gift to not accept. Uh, and in my opinion, FPL, I always mention this, is putting yourself in a position to get lucky, right? If Jota braced or got a hat-trick, no one would be surprised. And I just wanted to play the odds and get him in place. Yeah, I think it's a perfectly reasonable set of transfers. I, I took Rafinha out as well. Um, he's been shooting, you know, a lot of a lot of long range goals recently, and obviously he's incredibly good at it, incredibly talented. But he's, you know, it's unpredictable at the best. And as you say, his goal was was fairly fortunate, I'd say. But I mean, who could predicted that West Ham would would blow um, Liverpool over at the weekend? Tremendous performance from West Ham. They seem like the real deal this season, and um, pushing for top four even. I mean, some of the the statistical models are projecting them to be fourth at the end of the year, which is inc- which is incredible. David Moore's done a terrific job there. Uh, but yeah, go back to your transfers. I think Jota's a really good pick for the next three games with Firmino out. I mean, who knows the extent of Firmino's injury? He might even be out for longer. Um, and, and-, and just around the time uh, Firmino might be back, we have Mane and Salah going to the AFCON, right? So exactly. it just seemed like a fairly reasonable move where I could just leave him in there. 
100%. Well, tell me about the rest of yeah. your team. Um, I mean, the, the back line looks pretty uh, template, really. I think we both have the same back line, Ramsdale, Alexander Arnold. Excuse me, Alexander Arnold, um, Rhys James, and Cancelo, all doing the business this this game week, and um, they seem like no brainers right now. All all really attacking players, apart from obviously Ramsdale. Yeah, yeah, very happy with that defense. Uh, uh, unless injuries force it, I don't see me touching my defense for a while. Unless I move Shane Duffy out, because uh, Trent, uh, Cancelo, Rhys James, and Livermento just seem like good enablers. I actually might uh, remove Duffy when I get the chance for maybe a Crystal Palace defender because I think a big squad could be very useful in the Christmas period. And, you know, because we have so much value on offer in that uh, defensive pool of players, I think I might just do that at some point whenever uh, I have some sort of a luxury move to make. It's a really interesting one, actually, because normally we don't have that much depth in our squads over Christmas. But as you say, everyone's relying on Salah captaining. There's not so many premium options in our squad site right now. So our benches are pretty full to the brim of attacking talent. I mean, you've got more pie, Duffy, Livermento, all really legitimate options in any game week. And Brighton's fixtures, we'll, we'll look at fixtures coming up, but Brighton's fixtures are very good in the next six. So it seems like we might be able to deal with Christmas uh, a little bit more um, assertively this year, right? Yeah, and, and just about the value factor, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about Kane versus Son later and people are talking about you're not going to really captain Kane, so go with the cheaper option because value matters. Uh, in my opinion, because of the insane amount of value that Trent, Cancelo, Reese James are offering, because of the value that the likes of Mbuemo, Jota, Rafinha, uh, Bowen, uh, Cornet are offering, where are you spending the money? Because there are so many good value options in the field of play at the moment, I have, if I don't spend money for Kane, I have so much money just lying in the bank doing nothing. So I don't think value is a factor at the moment because there's so much value uh, already on offer uh, because of the options that are available. But it's all, it always works in reverse though, doesn't it? If you don't have those premium assets who are really become really, really desirable and you need them in your team, it's like counterintuitive. Do you need to... St- leave money aside in your team just to jump on those premium players when they actually come into form or do we some is there a risk of forcing it is there a risk of forcing bringing in these premium players when they're not actually doing that well i think you just play the fixtures i think the fixtures i think premium players more often than not when a good run of fixtures comes up they turn good picks they're priced at 11 12 million for a reason. It's because they're giving you 20 plus returns season on season. They don't need to, uh, you don't need to uh, look at three months of data and think that this world-class player who's produced 20 returns every season for the last seven seasons suddenly turns into a bad player, right? So I think they're premium for a reason. And uh, more often than not, when the good fixtures show up, they will too. Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, it's long-term uh, experience when we play this game. We, we know we know De Bruyne is a decent player. He hasn't done much this season, but he doesn't just yeah. become a bad player. So it's really interesting, yeah. And that probably that is your strategy as an upside chaser and to try and getting on those premium players at the right time with great fixtures. It's what you've done with Aubameyang in the last couple of game weeks, right? Yep, yep. Unfortunately, he decided to miss penalties in his last two game weeks. <laughs> if only that had happened. But uh, it's all right. I'm still getting those green arrows. Like I said, it seems like a low-risk field at the moment. The only real risky bet that I've made and I've been very fortunate with is not having Antonio 
since my wildcard. And that's worked out all right. Not that any of the replacements I've gotten have done anything, but thankfully he's done not, not done much either. And I think I've been very lucky with that. Yeah, I see. I think the forward line seems to be pretty thin on the ground in terms of options at the moment. So I, I think I put something up a couple of weeks ago saying, do you want to sell Antonio? I, I kind of want to sell him, but who else are you going to sell him for? So you might as well just keep him unless you want to you know, go someone crazy. But yeah, it seems like a keep at the moment, but an uninspired keep because obviously West Ham are, are really good at the moment. But Antonio's been frustrating. He's sort of assisting the assister and uh, hasn't got on the score sheet for a while. So I, I'm sure he's... Uh, do i hate that word but yeah he's um he's probably going to score in the next few and um yeah. we'll, we'll uh, see it's just a happenstance i reckon it's just how it turned out and i think uh, non-owners like me just have been very fortunate it's a good thing that west ham are capable of scoring against anybody and everybody which is why you'd be happy to play antonio against anyone they've just had a, a one game so far in which they haven't scored a goal so it pretty much tells us that, you know, you were happy to play a player like that against anybody. It's crazy. I think one player that's flying under the radar a little bit is Pablo Fornells. Like, he's been pretty consistent all season. And he's one of those people, if you do like a, a stats graph or whatever, and you see him there and you go, I'm going to take him out because he's just, he's a strange pick. No one's going to pick him. And you go, <laughs> he's been on the graphs every single week and he's just flying under the radar still. I mean, it's just, he's not perceived to be an excellent FPL pick, but I think he might be this season. Jared Bowen's the same. But I mean, the difference has yep. been that Fanals has actually been scoring and assisting pretty much every other week and still flying under the, the radar. This, it's the same case with uh, Bowen as well. He's, he's returned and fired out of the last six game weeks. So he's actually one that I have earmarked for a transfer. Maybe three or four game weeks later, I'm looking to get in Bowen. He's still under 3% on as an FPL option as well. So I think he's a great option. And he's matching Antonio statistically as well in the past six game weeks. He's pretty much playing as the answer forward. I think uh, Fornals is a really good pick as well. I just prefer Bowen because I think he's got more of a threat. That's completely fair enough. So you think you're eyeing yeah. up Bowen ahead of Antonio? Uh, in the next few weeks when West Ham's fixtures get a little bit better. Yeah, and you probably don't mind doubling up, right? Not like they cost uh, too much money. I mean, Bowen 6.3, Antonio's 88.5 million at the moment. And if no forwards show up, uh, by the time West Ham's good fixtures come to us, I'm happy to go back to Antonio. He's a great pick at all times, so yeah. don't need to be stubborn with something like that. I think so. Right, so let's yeah. talk one one more two things about your your team. You've got double double uh, Brentford. Um, that's been frustrating. Uh, what's your plan with those? Are you going to try and get rid of them both, or or just one of them? I am very optimistic about their next game because one thing Newcastle don't really know how to do, despite the managers changing, and that's that's not because of the fault of the manager. It's just because of the quality of defenders they have on the pitch. Is that always back my attackers against that team? And I'm happy to give them the next game. Uh, a lot of I've seen a lot of people selling Ivan Tony, and uh, I do pay a little bit of attention to psychology. And this is the guy who was not given a chance by Newcastle for years, and he was uh, in that squad. And I think he might have a point to prove. I, I think we might see a big performance from Ivan Tony. I'm happy to be patient for the next game week and then decide what to do. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah, most of us are on Burmo or Tony owners, so fingers crossed we're well, patient, uh, reaps and dividends yeah. next game week. Yeah. Um, Kai Havertz is the last one. It, presumably, he's on your chopping block this week. Yeah, it's already sold. I sold already him sold. three days ago. 
already <laughs> sold already sold he looked like he was going in a, up in price maybe yesterday and uh, selling kai uh, and buying whoever i decided to buy depended a lot on the kenan's on decision which we'll talk about later yeah we'll come to your transfers at the end of the video um i think you've yeah. already made one you just said and i think you're planning to make uh, another for a minus four which yep. is interesting we'll come to that later let's move on to uh, my team uh and i was a bit of a, a maverick this week you'd be glad to know uh Pranil, i took a minus eight um to get the players i wanted for the long term and uh so the moves i made were uh, De Bruyne, Rafinha and Mount out for Son, Foden and Jota uh, had exact money to do all of it and I didn't really want to get rid of anyone else in my team so it just made sort of sense to me even though it was eight points to sacrifice that I knew that I wanted all of these players going forwards that I, I'll just pull the trigger because they were all going to go up in price and I would end up being 0.3 priced out and I wouldn't be able to sacrifice, well, I would have to sacrifice another player that I didn't want to get rid of. So it just sort of made sense to me. Um, obviously, in hindsight, those set of transfers didn't work out uh, immediately because Rafinha... Yeah, you don't, you don't judge a transfer like that over one week. You take your time to see how this pays off. And there are so many factors at play. You know, people think, okay, that I sold these three players and bought these three players. And they only sort of look at the net results. Uh, maybe even if you're calculating whether this move paid off in two or three game weeks, what you're not going to realize is because you made these moves and you set your team up, you're probably able to make uh, other moves, which you might not make if you're behind the game and having those players, right? So there's that butterfly effect in play as well, where you're not now behind the game you're at least on par, if not ahead of the game. So I think Absolutely. that also sort of matters. Yeah, It's really interesting, actually, that if I hadn't made those moves, as you say, I probably would have felt a little bit further behind. But I think a lot of wildcard teams that I've seen being advertised are similar, uh, have similar midfields to uh, to mine, maybe excluding Gallagher as well. Um, so, and obviously the same back line. I think most people have Liverpool, Chelsea or Man City uh, defence. So I feel quite comfortable with it. And uh, I feel comfortable enough not to do anything this week. I think probably what I'll do is roll the transfer. Uh, and that, as you say, puts me, sets me up well for the future. And we have to sort of amalgamate those four or five future game weeks to uh, analyse whether that minus eight was worth it. But yeah, yeah you're on... all, your team almost looks wildcardish to me. Like I really like the look of your team. I think it's in a good place, and I don't think you have to worry too much. Thanks. I, I'm quite happy with it. The I think the couple players who I am a little bit um, apprehensive about the prospects are Jimenez in a in a Wolves side who don't seem massively free flowing uh, going forwards. Uh, we're we're going to look at attacking prowess uh, next. I think. So we'll come to that. And Wolves have some strange, strange results. But Jimenez, as you, we talked about earlier, is, is a talisman for that team. He's always capable of getting returns. He started getting FPL returns after a little bit of a drought at the start of the season. Uh, and also, as we've, we've talked about, um, pedigree in FPL, where they might not have form, getting on them while they have fixture, good fixtures is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. I think Wolves have Norwich in the next three. So I think hanging on doesn't seem like the worst idea, but... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. happy with, with with the current yeah. setup. If, if if Callum Wilson scores a couple against Brentford, it, it's in the same price bracket. So it's not like you're far away from any of your targets as well. You can assess the field and do decide what you want to do. Exactly. Um, Callum Wilson seems yeah. to be a popular pick right now, but I'm not going to you know, jump on any bandwagons just yet until maybe he does 
warrant a, a consideration. But uh, yeah, 63 points for me with a minus eight brings me down to 55. Uh, a tiny red arrow, which I'll absolutely take. I think I went down from 110k to 125k. So with a minus eight, pretty happy with that. Sets, sets me up well for the future. Um, so we're going to talk about Son and Kane later on. But what's your initial impressions? Obviously, uh, you're thinking about bringing in Kane right now, but that's to do with your team structure. And no, it's me- not. No, no, it's not. <laughs> could you have gone? Uh, so yeah, you could, I could you- have gone. Yeah, so, so I, I, I intend on selling Kai Havertz and Aubameyang, and I want to get in at least one Spurs attacker. So the two sort of options that I was looking at is I, I either go Son plus Wilson, or I go. Kane plus Gallagher or Smithrow. And I so I had both options and both seem in fact I actually if I have to think, I think Wilson is the better pick compared to a Smithrow or a Gallagher, but I've thought about this for the whole week, uh figuring out which way I want to go. And um, yeah, I've made I've decided to go to the through the Kane route. Interesting. So there are a few factors at play do we want to get into that right now you reckon yeah let me bring bring the fixtures up on screen um we've got spurs there uh, at the bottom their next four fixtures seem to be the best uh, among most teams uh even though they're not not top of the fixture ticker in the next six they'd certainly be top in their next four let's just say that leeds burnley brentford and norwich seem like very very mouth-watering fixtures and Son and Kane seem the most obvious picks. Uh, obviously, there's some talk about Emerson Royale and Regulon being viable options, but the perceived um, indicator that Spurs still can't really defend that well is um, is a really a, a, a really sticking point, really for getting them. But they seem really advanced. But if you want to get on Spurs and you're not 100 percent sure how to do it, just I think Son and Kane. Don't overthink it. But in terms of which one to pick, I have obviously brought in Son, Late Rise uh, looking to bring in Kane. Uh, and I think it really depends on the sort of dynamic of the teams they're going to face because Son tends to do well with lots of space and Kane lots, tends to do well with a lack of space, I think. Maybe that's a generic assumption, but give me your impression about uh, which is the best to pick, Pranil. Uh I don't... Uh know if one is the best pick or the other. I, I can give the reasons why I went Kane over Son because I could have gone either way. Uh, is Firstly, uh, I don't see... If at all Salah slows down or dries up, I want to have the option of captaining a player and betting against Salah. And I'm just not there with Son as a captaincy option. I'm not as comfortable with Son as a captaincy option. I think I'm fairly comfortable captaining Kane at any point. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, the second thing is in the f- two games that we've seen when it comes to Spurs, the one thing that I noticed was Kane wasn't really playing that deep. He was playing much closer to goal than I've seen him under Mourinho or Nuno. And that's one of the things that was uh, that, that I liked. Spurs didn't really convince against Everton. They didn't really look uh, in full flow. They didn't really look like they were a well-dripped team and you don't have anybody to blame uh, blame that you don't have Conte to blame there because he he had what five days uh, to play two games with his team but I like that he intended on playing Kane closer to goal and I think Conte is a world-class manager I think Kane's a world-class player and 
I don't see a world in which uh, Kane doesn't buy into what uh, Conte says. Uh, I think motivation won't really be a problem. He's pretty much been sulking for the first three months. And I don't think that's going to happen under Conte because I think Kane will recognize that this this guy is a different pedigree of a manager. He is in the same category as a Guardiola or a Klopp. And, uh, you know, I've read so much about Conte where he's... I was reading uh, expert, excerpts from Perlo's book where he talked about every time Conte spoke, the entire team got so ex- inspired. And every time Conte spoke, there was always something that they took from that session. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. And the only thing that was a little bit of a doubt in my head is this Kane really dwindling as a player has he lost his ability and uh, the confirmation bias that i needed happened in the england albania game now i know that the quality of the opposition for when you're looking at albania is something you don't uh, consider i know that the england team is miles better than the spurs team you don't have uh reese james and ben chilwell as wingbacks uh in the spurs team you don't have phil foden and henderson and calvin phillips in midfield at Spurs. I know those factors are a problem. The only thing I wanted to see is if Kane was sharp, if Kane was moving well, if Kane was shooting well. Uh, and uh, he looked very, very sharp, I thought. He was moving, he was making some good runs. He's not made all season. And uh, I don't think he needs uh, practice under Conte to play as a nine. I think he can do that in his sleep because it's Harry Kane. He was born to play number nine. And... Uh, that's about it. I do think uh, Spurs will improve as a team. I don't think uh, Conte is going to persist with Lucas Mora in that team. I do think uh, Spurs have a couple of good creative playmakers in that team. And uh, he's going to bring them in very, very soon. We're talking about Ndombele and Lo Celso, who looked very good when they came on in the first two games as well. Uh, and the one thing that worried me about Jungmin Son is he got taken off uh, in both the games that he's played. He doesn't do as much tracking back as a Harry Kane, Harry Kane does. And I'm a little worried if uh, Conte is somebody who might not appreciate that. It, uh, I was uh, listening to this fabulous pod, just about the average uh, uh, FPL pod, which is run by Baker and Siva, and they're both Spurs fans. And it was interesting listening to them because they have the Spurs view towards something like this. And uh, they did mention that, you know, under Pochettino as well, Son was hooked off early quite often because he just doesn't press as much as Harry Kane does. And uh, I found that interesting. But I do, there is a caveat where uh, Son under Pochettino isn't the complete player that he is today. I think he is a world-class player that's moved leaps, miles and leaps beyond the player that was. So I don't think either are a bad pick, but I just give you the reasoning uh, and why I went for Kane, that's all. Yeah, perfectly reasonable. And I think, you know, a hat-trick irrelevant of where he scored it is going to give him confidence, going to give any player confidence. Uh, and maybe he needs that to kickstart his his domestic form. Uh, we were talking before yeah. the the, um, the pod started about whether you think that form, whether it's international, whether it's in Europe, translates to domestic form. And there is some argument to say that they, because they're playing with different players, because they're playing in a different team structure after, under a different manager, that maybe it doesn't translate as well. Uh, and I think that's fairly intuitive. We we normally negate pre-season when talking about game week one in FPL. And I think it's the same sort of um, of dilemma. But I think 
any sorts of goals in any sorts of competition gives that individual player a lot of confidence. And I think Kane seems to be, we'll come to his stats later on because we've got Kane and Son's stats with some of the other excellent players to pick uh, in FPL. Uh, But it seems like he's regaining some of that statistical form uh, before potentially getting that that, um, attacking form, the goals and the assists. So I think they're both good options. I think that's the... the, um, political pc answer to say yeah they're both good picks i think you know pick the one that probably fits in with your team structure the best if you can do both i don't know about that well you know i uh... don't know (laughs) that's that's the convenient cop out Uh, if if i had to recommend getting one right now i'd recommend king i don't want to sit on the fence with my opinion that's completely fair um, yeah. for, for me whenever i analyze whether it's kane or son i always think about the type of fixtures that they've got coming up because for example, I usually always use the phrase, uh, the the example Crystal Palace in the old Crystal Palace days with Roy Hodgson. Son used to find that uh, specific fixture so difficult to get any result. And Kane would always do well. And maybe that's different nowadays because Conte will play in a different style to all the previous managers. So maybe that may, may, might not make any difference. But Son seems to do with a lot of space running in behind. And I think specifically Leeds up next uh, at home is a prime prime fixture for Son. Maybe not Burnley. Yeah. Um, Brentford's another one good for him. Uh, and I'm not sure about Norwich because they're just bad in general. But they, obviously they got a good result against Brentford. Uh, but we'll see. And we don't know what they're going to look like under Dean Smith. We don't know what they're going to look like under the new manager as well. Exactly. So. Something we haven't yeah. mentioned yet. The absolute... Um, huge amount of uh manager transfers going on there's a changing landscape and maybe a few teams to get a, a bit of a new manager bounce bounce who knows but unfortunately um, none at my club <laughs> yeah. i mean the time's ticking i think it's um i think they're surely waiting for the good fixtures to come around aren't they but maybe maybe he'll stick just, out to the end of the season who knows no, I just think they're waiting for the right replacement and they're not sure of who they want to replace Solskjaer with. I think once they're sure about that, uh, they'll move. But I don't trust our board's judgment at all. Yeah, I think that's a fairly common consensus. But um, yeah, I think it's results-related and he's he's towing the line, isn't he, um, at the yeah, moment? Yeah. But we'll see. We one, really... There's one other factor that actually we haven't discussed when it comes to the Kane versus Son. And in terms of, and I don't think it's that big a factor because it takes two moves to switch formation. But with Kane, it's just an easier out in case it doesn't work with Ronaldo and Lukaku there waiting in the wings. Uh, it's an extra transfer if you want to switch Son out and then move to uh, Ronaldo or Lukaku in case that doesn't work. So that's also something that mildly plays on my mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not it's not too much of a factor because it's one extra transfer to switch that formation. That's all. Yeah, a placeholder for another premium option. Man United get a good fixture bounce in, I think it's game week 15. So I think Bruno Fernandes is a legitimate option. I think people are um, throwing him out the window a little bit, Um, not considering him, but his stats are are incredible. He's obviously off penalties, but that is not as much as a bearing, I think, as people think it is. But I think if people want Ronaldo as their Man United representative from game week 15, then yeah. It could sway you to bring in Kane right now, because I think I think a few few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, the captain matrix moving from Lukaku when he could fi- had good fixtures to Kane and then to Ronaldo and then the Chelsea and Man United fixtures dovetail quite well throughout the season, so it, it sort of 
organically lent its um, intuitive ways to sort of moving between the premium options. But that hasn't changed, and Spurs have got good fixtures coming up. So if you want a placeholder for Ronaldo, Kane seems like the option. But personally, I think that there's quite a lot of value going around in the team. So I, I prefer a cheaper Son and maybe keep my options open in the mid-price categories. But that's my personal opinion. I think a lot of people... I'm never, I'm never going to say Son in is a bad move. Son's a good player and a great FPL pick. So it's him in is never going to be a bad move. Cool. We haven't really talked that much about the rest of the teams on this fixture ticker. We've obviously got Brighton at the top here. Um, and Trossard is the one that probably stands out. Now, you own Morpai. Is there any sort of um, regret about not going for Trossard? I mean, he wasn't a particularly obvious pick, though. But he seems to be done well in the last few games. I got Morpai on my game week 8 wildcard when Morpai was playing Norwich at home. He's pretty much been on the bench since. And because we've got so many options in defense and we've got Livramento, who's a good option to play week in, week out. And I've had two other strikers. I've been pretty much playing either a 4-4-2 or a 3-5-2. And Mopay's on my bench. So that's what's been happening with my team. I don't intend on playing him anytime in the future. Right now, he's not even starting for Brighton at the moment. So, uh, But I think Trossard is a great option. And that's also one of the reasons why I moved to the... Kane plus five and a half to six and a half million bracket move because I think the six and a half that that entire midfield bracket is filled with good options at the moment. Whether you're talking about Gallagher or Smith Rowe or Trossard or Cornet or uh, just Mbuemo or Rafinha, there's just so many good options in that midfield bracket. So if at all you want to switch and play the fixtures at that price point, I think it's quite convenient to make those moves. That's that's one of the reasons why I switched as well. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Crystal Palace and yeah. Gallagher have have a good run of next three fixtures. Burnley, Villa, and, and Leeds up next. So, and it's yeah. just not the next three, like right until game week 21. So this entire 10 game week Christmas period, they're sitting second or third on the fantasy football scout fixture ticker until that period. So. Yeah, um, and, they, and, they, and and our perception needs to change when it comes to Crystal Palace. They're yeah, not the same sure. old Roy Hodgson team. They're a legit team now that deserves a lot more FPL attention. For sure. And when I produce this fixture ticker every week, there's normally some teams that go between the green and the amber, and it's it's Southampton and Palace at the moment which are wavering, and they're still green on this difficulty. But maybe if they continue to stay in that top half of the table, then they can be considered to move up to that next fixture difficulty. But yeah, uh, I think Gallagher's cheap enough to just bench here and there when you've got some other great players off your bench that need to be playing in decent fixtures. So it's quite convenient in that way. So yeah, it might not be a bad strategy actually going to a couple of cheap 5.5 to 6.5 midfielders. Completely agree. Yeah. Um, Liverpool City, it's encouraging obviously to have uh, some decent fixtures for them. I mean, most of us own maybe three or four of those players, even maybe even more. So um not really much to talk about. I think Jot is a great option. We both have him in our teams without Firmino. Uh, it's nice to have that that sort of third Liverpool player, isn't it? To set, set, give you something else when you're watching Liverpool play because Salah's going to be almost 200% effective ownership every week. A lot of people own Trent. It's nice to own maybe another Liverpool player such as Jota or, I mean, Robertson hasn't really done anything. Mane, if you want to do a Liverpool double, but he seems to have an injury over the international break. So Jota seems the obvious one um, if you've got space in your side for him. Um, is there, when it comes to Man City, is there no reason to overthink Foden and Cancelo for you? Yeah, no reason to overthink Foden and Cancelo. Get them, and I know that there's going to be a lot more rotation in uh, December, but they're just really explosive FPL picks, and uh, you get them. 
for sure. Uh, and you see out the rotation when it happens. And I think there's going to be a lot of, oh, this player played two games in the last two game weeks and he's probably going to be benching, be benched in the next one. And we're going to be doing a lot of that sort of prediction in December, which I think is fine. Yeah. I think yeah. you... So I think, I'm not sure many people are going to be bringing in Norwich assets and we've talked about Spurs. So let's move on and talking about uh, teams attacking prowess. I've got um, a chart up here and it's a bit of a strange one because we have um, Liverpool and Chelsea really setting um, the precedent in the top right-hand side, most attacking chances. And we've got Wolves in this random left-hand side with a reasonable amount of big chances, but really, really falling short in... Small chances, which probably equates to their really, really low level of shots, which is quite worrying as a Jimenez owner, let's just say that. But it kind of does describe how they're playing, doesn't it? Um, they seem yep. to be getting a few decent big chances, but other than that, um, they're not really doing anything, which is a bit worrying. Yeah. But um, Other than that, there's a big old group between um, between those three. Uh, Man City setting the lead, West Ham and Leeds. Leeds are interesting because my perception of Leeds whenever I watch them is without Bamford, without Ailing, without a number of their key players, they've suffered from injury, that they might have been falling short in the stats department. But it seems they're still shooting a lot. And maybe that's all Rafinha, but maybe um, they're, still, they're still legitimately attacking side. What do you make of Leeds? Are they one to worry about going forwards or... Um, do you do you want to wait before Bamford comes back before investing in that Leeds attack? No, I think Rafinha is always going to be a good pick, irrespective of the fixtures, because Leeds like to attack. And even though there's no Bamford at the moment, I think that sort of makes Rafinha an even bigger talisman because uh, I won't be surprised if we are just telling uh, Rafinha, you, you're the main man if you have the goal in your eyesight. Take a shot because... If everybody around doesn't really have that much quality in that Leeds team at the moment. So I have no problems holding on to Rafinha. But I do think there'll be better options that emerge. I think a lot of people are going to be moving from Rafinha to a West Ham midfielder around the game week 16 mark because the fixtures get really good for West Ham. And like you see on this table, right? West Ham are a legit team. They know how to attack and we've got good options in midfield when it comes to West Ham. And this they're going to be seemingly more nailed as well because Ben Rama is going to be flying to the AFCON as well. So when that fixture crunch does hit, closer to game week 20, 21, 22 when these players are flying off. Uh, uh, ben Rama is one less player to worry about if you're going in for a Bowen. I agree. I think um, yeah. with Rafinha, one thing which is so counterintuitive for me is that he he just scores incredible goals and I, I'm just in my head I'm going, surely that's not going to happen every week but it sort of has been and his fixtures are getting kind of kind of difficult and without Bamford still I'm going can he keep this up because that that versatility in the way he can score points he, he's not scored a single big chance he, I don't think he's got an assist yet this season he's just scoring really good goals and maybe that's just because he's an incredibly talented player but yeah. it's a bit of an enigma for me let's just say that you need to think you need to remember that even though he's not got a single assist so far he's got he's created a ton of chances so far, this is, it's just that the caliber of the player that he's passing to is not really good at finishing because Bamford's not in that team. But uh, 
it's he's still a decent pick he's he's never going to be a problem in your team you're never going to look at rafinha and say okay this guy is an issue in my team you're going to be happy to play him we can week out and the moment uh convincingly better options emerge which is why i moved to jota because i think he is a much better option compared to rafinha we're talking about the team on top of your graph there and the center forward for that team price 7.5 million versus the team in the bottom right corner and if something like this happens you make the move if not happy to just let him be in your team and play him every week but i do think that yeah. shift is going to happen game week 16 and everybody moves in for a west ham midfielder yeah maybe maybe it's yeah. interesting that you say that yeah the the caliber of his players his teammates not converting those chances that's something that we see regularly every season mason mount suffered it from it last season where timo verner struggled to convert a lot of chances created uh, from mason mount so his fpl returns were minimal um hopefully mount benefits a lot more from some clinical conversion this season from chelsea yeah uh but you're right liverpool you know it, it does all you need to do is stand in the right position and as long as you've got lots of lots of teammates who can convert around you you're going to get a lot of cheeky assists a lot of innocuous yeah. assists just by passing a ball to someone and they score a goal so sometimes it's worth considering team form when when talking about bringing in a player and i think that's why we both rate jota in a way that we brought him in immediately when um, Firmino was confirmed out. So yeah. another thing I think was interested, or was interesting on this graph, I should say, is Brentford uh, are not doing too badly in their attacking stats. And that might echo what you mentioned earlier about having some confidence with Mbomo and Tony against Newcastle, because Newcastle will come to defence stats in a minute, haven't been defending that well. And I think Brentford could have a really good shout, uh, even though they've suffered a... An embarrassing loss to Norwich um, when most people would tip Brentford to win that. What do you make yeah. of Brentford's form at the moment? Are you are you worried that they're going to turn into the Norwich of last season? Or do you think that they can sustain this, this almost mid-table form? Um, I think Thomas Frank is a decent manager and I think he can probably do it. But who knows? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I'm not as confident as I was a month ago. Uh, those performances have been all right. They've been good, but they haven't been what we expected them to be. And even in the previous game against Norwich, Brentford got a ton of chances, but none of them fell to Bumo or Ivan Toni. And that is the concern. Uh, because, yeah, the team might do well, but you want your FPL picks from that team to do well. Uh, that said, I think it's just been a case of happenstance. And... Uh, I think some of the games that Brentford have upcoming now might suit those two attackers uh, uh, who might have some more space because Norwich sat and parked the bus and that didn't suit, uh, especially Mbomo as an option. But uh, uh, don't be overconfident with your uh, Brentford picks because, like, uh, but don't worry too much if you have them in your team. Give them a game week or two and see if they uh, perform or not. If not, move them out. The, the, the advantage with the Brentford picks is they're both nailed. They're both going to be playing at least 80-85 minutes week on week. And just having that in place is a good thing. And they do have the fixture, so they're capable of scoring against anybody. I'm with you. I, I rate Thomas Frank as a manager as well. So it's a, it's a bit of a don't buy, don't sell at the moment, especially for the Newcastle game and then, then reassess. Uh, I mean, I mean, don't forget how lucky, unlucky they were with that offside. I mean, both would have got FPL returns against Norwich, and and they were playing a pretty high line Norwich at that point. So um, there was there were periods in that game where they could have got returns. I think they were just a little bit unfortunate. 
But that probably tells the story of Brentford and especially Ivan Tony's um, recent FPL form because he's had a lot of disallowed goals, hasn't he? And um, I remember last time you were on the show, we talked about how Tony was just adapting to the Premier League and he, we were really impressed about, you know, that we, we were seeing some indication that he's adapted the way that he's scoring goals. It just hasn't quite clicked in terms yeah. of the offside luck. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. he's he's clearly he's clearly got some incredible talent, and I, I think he's not at a must sell right now. Let's just say that. I'll have some patience, uh, ride the wave the key, for a couple the, of weeks. The, the case on. with Tony right now is that he's a better player than he is an FPL option. Yeah. Uh, when you're watching him, you're always going to be impressed by him because of those one touch through balls that he plays through to his teammates and all of that. His awareness and vision is really good, which is why in your head when you're watching. Brentford, you're going to think like, okay, this guy's quality. But he's not really getting the volume of chances, the volume of shots that he should be getting uh, in that team. Because when we were sitting here in preseason talking about Brentford and Ivan Tony, he was the clear talisman, 30-plus goals, hogging majority of the chances. That hasn't really happened in the Premier League yet because the chances are quite distributed across that team. So that is the thing I'm worried about, where Ivan Tony might not be the talisman we think. He's a great player, but is he a great or a good FPL option. That's something that I'm assessing at the moment. He reminds me of Jimenez, to be honest, as in he's a very creative forward, feeds in Burmo more often than he actually shoots. And um, having that all-round ability is obviously fantastic. And having that dual threat from an FPL perspective is also good, but it does rely on Burmo having to convert. And he's hit the post along to that. There's not been in this narrative last few weeks that Burmo's hit the post like six times or something. Um, Maybe they're just getting unlucky. There's this one United striker that he reminds me of all the time, Dimitar Bobatov, in just terms of the awareness and vision that Ivan Tony has of the players around him. His his one-touch passes are incredible. Every time he receives receives the ball, he doesn't like taking that second touch. He likes receiving the ball and immediately playing the through ball. And I quite admire that as as a player, at least. Yeah, absolutely. I think Brentford are incredibly enjoyable to watch non-stop, um, yeah. regardless of opposition. And uh, I think, um, hopefully, this Newcastle game can give us some FPL points finally. We've got Spurs there sitting on this graph and they're not doing especially well. Does that worry you at all? Or is this just because this is last six game weeks, we've only had, what, one or two with with Conte present and um, this might just be lagging in the old Spurs. Do you think this is going to uptick, especially with the good fixtures coming up? Yeah. And uh, even if it doesn't, as an FPL player, I think it's a bet you make. Because yeah. you have two world-class players up top. You have a world-class manager coaching them. And the fixtures are there. It's just a bet you make. You don't you don't overthink it when the fixtures and the players match up like this. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think I especially fall into this trap of looking at the last six game weeks and going, this team hasn't been very good, but they've got good fixtures. How likely are they to turn that around in this more favourable environment? And I always remain sceptical, I think. And I think those that are brave enough to dive headfirst into some good fixtures and take that plunge while accepting those risks will most of the time reap the, reap the, the dividends. But you have to take um, the losses or the the bad choices with, with a pinch of salt and say maybe it was a good choice, but it was maybe a, an unlucky result. That's definitely something play, I don't do enough. The field of play is right now such that that there is... No real risky sell that you're making as long as you're captaining Mo Salah. 
so, so the, the field of play is sort of enabling you to play a little risky because everything else is not as much risk. Everything else is low risk. So yep. I think there's more opportunity than risk at the moment, if as long as you're captaining Salah. I mean, 100%. I mean, I brought Son in yeah. um, for a minus eight. I mean, that's probably <laughs> maverick enough. But yeah. um, sometimes these chances just, just bypass you. And I think this season has enabled a lot of people to be a little bit more maverick than they would normally be. So interesting environment. Um, anyone else to talk about this? I mean, when Man United are up there, but obviously suffering from fluctuations in form. Um, Newcastle haven't been setting the world light, have they? But one Maybe one of the worst teams. Norwich is even better than Newcastle. A lot of people considering Callum Wilson with their good run of fixtures. Do you favour Wilson for uh, a forward spot? Yeah, if you're looking for a striker in that price range, I'd buy him over anybody else at the moment. I just think you play the fixtures again. Uh, Newcastle have good fixtures, if I'm not mistaken. They're Brentford at home, Arsenal away, Norwich at home, and Burnley at home. So, for out of the four games, three home games against not really good caliber opposition, you take a chance. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, he's what? He's not really that expensive. So, I think you roll the dice. And we do know that uh, Eddie Howe knows Callum Wilson, he knows Mattachy, he knows Ryan Fraser. I don't think we know whether Fraser or uh, Mattachy are going to start. We do know that Wilson is going to start. And it helps that a manager knows a player and has been successful with him in the past. And we do know that he likes to play front foot football. Uh, so while I would never trust a Newcastle defender, I'd have no comps punting on a Newcastle attacker. That is that's that's sort of been a light bulb moment for me because I didn't even yeah. connect the dots that Eddie Howe was obviously with Bournemouth uh, and and yeah. Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser when they were they had that breakout season. Uh, so yeah, that's a really interesting for me, and that might have even convinced me that they will long term make it click. Uh, but yeah. yeah, that's a really interesting domino. But I mean, you, Callum Wilson is probably not for me. I mean, it, this is more of a jump than Son or Kane are going to gain some form. I just can't. I can't jump from Callum Wilson and his overhead kick against what who's it Aston Villa. Um, that's all he's done, and his stats are poor, uh, but his fixtures are good. And it seems like that gap is bigger for me to sort of go. Yes, he's he's definitely going to get some FPL form, rather than that gap is smaller for Son and Kane. I think, but as you say, the risk is lower because his price is lower and the forward options aren't setting the world alight. So I can kind of see it from that perspective. But, and um, you need to wipe the slate clean, Ted. Those, those previous performances don't really matter because we've seen uh, Graham Jones mention that his approach was a defence-first approach. And we know Eddie Howe isn't defence-first. He likes to play his football. He might have evolved as a manager and he might be more rounded and they might not leak the amount of goals that they did at Bournemouth. But he does know how to get a team playing. He does know how to get a team passing. And uh, that's that's about it. Interesting. One, 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 one team that I do find interesting on this table is Chelsea. And that's because Romelu Lukaku might be fit again. And you, we might have a state of play soon where uh, Kane is doing well under Conte. He's got the fixtures. And it's just not the next four. He's got uh, decent fixtures right through Jan. And then Lukaku starts performing because Chelsea are a great team at the moment. And especially with Dries James fit and firing and being the best... Uh, crosser in that team there might be a state of play where we might want Salah, Lukaku and Kane and people who spread the funds too much start worrying about where where do they start getting these big hitters from because uh, just this that's something to think about 
because I yeah. don't think you'll be able to ignore Lukaku for too long, especially with Reese James in that team now, and then relying on crosses from that side. Do you think there's any credence in that um, quite powerful stat that two cool strikers really haven't been um, benefiting from the system that he plays? Um, they've really, really suffered in the amount of goals that they've actually seen. The, the, most of the goals seem to be coming from around that striker position. Uh, do you think there's any logic in that? Or or do you think that that's just an, an, an anomaly and Lukaku will get back to form? For 70% of those statistics that you mentioned, Tuchel strikers weren't Romelu Lukaku. <laughs> I think he's a, he's, he's a different caliber of a player and I, I wouldn't pay too much attention to that at the moment. Okay, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. But yeah, certainly Chelsea's attacking form seems to be very decent and um, might it might be somewhat skewed by that 7-0 Norwich game, uh, but we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I think Reese James and Chilwell have obviously made an incredible attacking difference. They almost play as strikers, so... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting what how how they change. Do they even improve when Lukaku comes back? Very one one to monitor though for sure. Um, let's move on and talk about defence. Um, we've got the same the same sort of chart in in reverse really. Small chances conceded across the bottom, big chances conceded across the side. And um, rather interesting, they sort of shocked me that Aston Villa were the worst for uh, both. And maybe that's to do with the opposition that they've played against. Um, I can't honestly remember who they've played against recently. Um, but it kind of shocked me nonetheless that they were they were so leaky. We've got Watford and Norwich and Burnley, the ones you'd expect, Newcastle, um, Man United, poor old Man United. Uh, but they have had a rough time of it. Everton, and that doesn't surprise me because they've been leaking goals left, right and centre. 5-2 five, five, against, against uh, Watford, wasn't it? And um, yeah, they've been leaky. So a kind of a few surprises here. Man City and Chelsea bottom left, as you'd expect. Palace there, one of the strongest defenses. We never really consider any Palace options. Maybe that's because though we don't really have an attacking uh, Palace defender that that's really obvious. And Guaita is a sort of left field goalkeeper pick. Is there anyone that springs to mind from a from a Palace point of view that you could? Yeah, the two embrace. defenders I consider strongly. Because I have Duffy lying and he's not exactly nailed as a player in the Brighton defence with Lamptey close to being fit and Webster being fit. So for the more Maverick managers who want to have a bit of fun, you have Lamptey as an option in the price bracket. But if you want to go safe, reliable, in, <coughs> sorry, in the fixture, festive fixture schedule where you want to have a bigger squad, I think Mitchell is a decent option. He makes some r- runs on that uh, left-hand side. And I think if you want uh, to indulge, I think even Mark Gouy, their centre-back, is a good option because uh, I was reading Tom Freeman, uh, our deputy edit- editor's article, and he spoke about how many how Gouy is so good for baseline bonus points. So if, Calis- if Palace do get a few clean sheets, he's very likely to be in the bonus points as well. So that just seems like a very good, steady option, reliable in case... Uh, the likes of Trent, Cancelo, Jota, Foden get benched just to enable that bigger squad at a good price point of 4.5 million. So I'm not against uh, anybody going for Mitchell or Gwey at the moment. I think they are the players I would go to in that price bracket. And the only other one I'd consider is Lamptey, assuming everybody owns Livra. Fair enough. I mean, hopefully Lamptey can get back to form for Brighton, but um, obviously his injury record is is um, yeah. the most obvious thing to consider. 
But I mean, I think yeah. one thing this chart does enable you to consider is uh, for a goalkeeper perspective, conceding lots of small chances, but not so many big chances might be good for save potential. And we've got Arsenal there just on the cusp of that quadrant and Ramsdale owner should be pretty comfortable. Obviously, he's got a he's in great form at the moment. That that uh, performance against Leicester was incredible where most of us benched him. Those who didn't, absolutely congratulations to you. But what's really interesting to me is that Spurs are there as well. Leeds even. I'm, I always thought Leeds, that perception is that they were super leaky, uh, especially with a couple of their key personnel injured, such as Ailing. Uh, but they seem to be keeping it together in terms of the big chances conceded. They haven't been conceding that many. Maybe they, they've been benefiting from good fixtures. Maybe the teams against them haven't really conjured that much up. Uh, so maybe that's the reason. Yeah. West Ham there. Fabianski could be a... I'm not sure he's... How much is he as a goalkeeper? Is he about five million? I think I, he's five, five and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just quickly check. If he's five and a half, then that sort of puts that plan out of the window. Five million. At five million, I probably could consider him for when West Ham have some decent fixtures. But um, yeah, at the moment, it seems like Ramsdale seems like the most obvious option. Arsenal doing pretty well in the defence department. Um the the thing that always screws in my head a little bit is Liverpool always tend to be, and this is consistent over the last couple of seasons, they don't really concede too many small chances, but they've always been pretty high for the big chances. And maybe that's that comes from their play style. Maybe that comes from advanced fullbacks. But they do seem to concede a lot of big chances. And that has become evident over the last few game weeks where Alisson seems to have scored uh, conceded a few more goals than maybe he should have. So that's a bit worrying for Trent owners, but luckily we own him for mainly his attacking potential, so that's all right. Um, yeah. Anything else stand out on this chart for you? Um, maybe yeah. what teams to attack or teams to bring in for defending options? Two teams I'd consider at the moment. Palace we've already spoken about. And the thing that the interesting thing is that if Conte is going three at the back, and one thing he does know is how to organise a team and how to enable them to have a good shape. If you're spending four and a half million on uh, Mitchell or away, you can get a Conte wing back for 0.4 million more. And Emerson Royal, I think, is a very interesting option because he's looked really good. He's looked like he's had quality on the ball in the two games that he's had. He was the man of the match in the previous game as well. So I think at 4.9 million, he should be on everybody's watch list. Not very expensive at all. Yeah, I think if if you look at the number in the box there, that 1.2 above the name Tottenham, that's their big goals conceded. And if you compare that to their big chances conceded per match, which is 1.4, they have been conceding so many big chances compared to what they are realistically expected to do. Because that, that figure, that normal conversion figure should be about 0.7. So I think they've been a bit unlucky with that conversion level from other teams that they've played against so that maybe gives some credence to yeah. Spurs maybe being a, being a little bit more solid than we think not just judging it also, by the goals that they've conceded I think you 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 wipe the slate clean when it comes to Spurs because it's a completely new system completely new manager world-class manager uh having twice the potential of the manager that was at Spurs before uh you wipe the slate clean because Conte knows how to organize a team and that's 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 that. That's completely fair. And uh, they've already got a clean sheet under their belt so far. So um, yeah. why not give them the benefit of the doubt? Why not? And they've played yeah. so far forward, those fullbacks. So what's not to like? <laughs> exactly. Just 4.9 million. 
I think it's another great value enabler in the defensive field of picks. The thing that, that, that worries me and the thing that sort of blocks me from doing it is that I don't really want to play forward back. And the Cancelos, the Reese James, the Trent Alexander-Arnolds are sort of staples in our defensive line. So I, I can't really find a way to justify bringing in a, a Spurs defender. And I'm sure a lot of people might have the same opinion. But if you were to move to four at the back, I don't think it would be the worst idea to fill that fourth spot with a, with a Spurs. You don't even necessarily need to move to four at the back, in my opinion. Because no. the, the counter argument to what you're saying is it's about whether you really want to spend 0.4 million to go for a Spurs fullback over a Crystal Palace defender or Lamptey. And is that worth it? Even if you're benching your fourth defender week in, week out, will we need a bench in the Christmas period? Yes, we will. Uh, because these teams with big squads are going to rotate more than they have previously. So that's, that's the counter-argument where, okay, and, and you know, people worry too much about points on the bench, but it's purely psychological, right? Yeah. Those points on the bench don't get subtracted from your team score. No. It, it, it's, it's only in your head that you're feeling bad about the difficult choice that you're having to make week on week. Yeah, you've but missed out on those points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but it's... It's kind of weird, though, I because we have Tino Livramento sitting on our benches most week and he's been so, doing so well. Do I really want another defender that's going to be doing well on my bench? I, I kind of get where you're coming from, though. You may as well have someone who's a decent FPL option on your bench than not having him at all. And he could Especially always in sub in. Yeah, 100%. So yeah. it's interesting. It's a really interesting psychological dilemma because I, I bet I've got Ben White sitting on my bench at 4.4, 4.5 million. Maybe uh, a Spurs player would be uh, a luxury upgrade in, in that regard. Very luxury move because White is a great 4.4 million defender to own. Let him be there. Just a luxury <laughs> move, yeah. I think that's probably what people will consider, though. If they've got a luxury move and they're not going to be playing the Spurs defender week in, week out, then maybe it does be a luxury move. I, I, I don't know, but who knows? I think Son and Kane are the obvious ones, but we can move on and talk about some of the key players, um, the best players, the best statistical players in the game. And we've got a big bunch of them here. Son and Kane uh, in the middle of them, behind a rampaging Mo Salah right at the top, really setting the pace. Um, and it's just difficult to look past Salah at the moment for for captaincy. I mean, he's a he's the most owned FPL player ever. Right, I think that's the stat. Uh, can yeah. we consider alternative captain options such as Son or Cade against Leeds this week, or is it just not worth overthinking? You consider Son or Kane as options once they show uh, that they're capable of producing. Until then, I don't want to bet against them. Yeah, I think you wait just a little. I think we might have a more relevant conversation with regards to this in two game weeks where uh, Spurs will have Brentford and Norwich at home. And at that time, Liverpool have Everton and uh, Wolves away. At that time, it might become a more relevant conversation and two games is uh, more data. And at that time, you ask that question. I don't think you jump in just yet. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really difficult to go against. I know effective ownership is a terrible way to justify picking a captain, but um, it's it's scary to go against a 200% effective ownership when Salah is also justifying being the best captain option week in, week out because of these immense stats. It's not the effective ownership that's driving your choice. It's the fact that he's so good. Yes, he might have blanked. Uh, and 
um, not scored, um, sorry, in the last couple of games. But I don't think that's a reason to put yourself off. Yeah. Sorry, and also, I mean, the the fact is that there are these stats where Salah is statistically superior to the rest of the field, and he's in the form of his life. His conversion rates are much higher than they have been previously as well. So it's just not that he's giving the volume. His efficiency is improved as well because he's just in the form of his life. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the conversion rate yeah. for big attempts is normally uh, 50%. So he's at 1.33. That's overperforming. And for small attempts, it's about just under 10%. He's got 35 and he's scoring 0.5. So that's a massive overperformance as well. But overperformance, as we talk about always, is about an average. It's comparing it to an average player comparing to an XG model. Whereas Salah is clearly, he's being touted as one of the best players in the world at the moment. That overperformance is probably to be expected. And I don't think that's probably going to deteriorate either. Be interesting what happens when the African Cup of Nations comes around. We've, we talked about earlier with Jota. What do you think about yeah. um, Liverpool's prospects during January period? Is that going to be a poignant moment in the season? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a little worried about Liverpool even now. Because if, it, because it looks like Mane might have an injury. I don't know how long he's injured for. Uh, and what I noticed in that performance against West Ham was that your, your players look tired a little, especially in the last 20-30 minutes. And you guys, Liverpool have a lot of injuries in midfield as well. So, and... Klopp's system isn't uh, for the faint-hearted radio required to run so much in that system. So it's just that little bit where I thought they looked a little tired and I worry about that a little, that's all. Yeah, no, I completely agree, to be fair. I mean, when you're resorting to bringing Origi on, who, to be fair to him, is a clutch player. He just seems to score so many important goals. Um, And then Minamino, and you're getting to that sort of level of player, then you go, okay. We might be in, might be in trouble in January to, to dig in consistent performances. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Hopefully, Mane's injury isn't um, too bad because we yeah. will definitely miss him in over Christmas. Um, so yeah, but yeah. I think Liverpool, you know, their style they play, as you as you've alluded to, is pretty high intensity. So hopefully, we can get some decent results in there good run of fixtures in the next six. So uh, I don't think there's too much uh, scope to worry about them just yet. Um, But back to the chart. And um, we've got Josh King sticking out a little bit there. And just to caveat that, I think he's only had a couple of games under his belt. And I think this is on a per appearance. So I think it's probably benefiting him a little bit, uh, considering he scored that hat-trick against Everton. So I I wouldn't be diving into Josh King just yet, especially with Watford's fixtures. Uh, which are short-term pretty poor, I think. So, But there's plenty of people to, dis- to discuss on this. On the right-hand side, we've got Rafinha and Bruno Fernandes, who we've, we've both talked about so far this pod, being very busy players in the game, but not really yep. representing that those big attempts, those big chances that we tend to rely on as FPL managers. But both it, classy it's players. It's what we... What we said about Rafinha is he's basically shooting on sight at the moment, considering the volume of small chances he's getting at the moment. I don't blame him. It's crazy. It's exactly yeah. what we spoke about. Yeah. Exactly. The, the most small attempts out of any any player. And um, I think that makes yeah. makes sense. But can we rely yeah. on it as a predictive measure in FPL? Maybe. I mean, he yeah. seems to be evidencing pretty well. But, I mean, you, you yeah. compare that, you compare him to Tielemans, who's right next to him, almost exactly the same stats... Uh, same conversion and you go right who's more likely to keep this conversion up i would bank my money on rafinha 
right? Because T elements have been rockets. Yeah. But it's a, it, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's interesting, I think we need to point out is uh, Bowen's numbers on this chart. He looks pretty healthy uh, and looks like he's getting more bigger chances than Antonio in the past six game weeks. And he isn't uh, doing bad for volume either. So those numbers just look very encouraging. Yeah, his conversion numbers in the middle have been um, have been excellent. And um, yeah, you as you said earlier, you'd almost consider him over for now. So he's the bottom left there. Uh, so yeah, anyone who's maverick enough to go to go Bowen, I mean, maybe that's a bit harsh. Maybe he becomes a mainstream pick when when West Ham have some decent fixtures. I think that starts from what game week 16? sixteen when they when they've got Burnley and then Arsenal. So definitely one to consider a monitor there. And just to the left of him, uh, Harry Kane, and below that, uh, Foden. So in good company. I was I was quite relieved actually. Normally when I create this, I I just uh, plug in a spreadsheet and give some filters and um, out came all of these players and uh, all every single one of them is in my team so I'm <laughs> very happy about that but um, even the Reese James, Trent and Cancelo are on there so that's quite encouraging from an attacking standpoint um, Gundogan always seems to have decent numbers and I just <laughs> I, I can never really uh, understand how but uh, maybe that's that false nine that Man City tend to play Tends to more forward. Just those, a bit. just those shadow runs into the box all the time. Yeah, exactly. Great for big attempts. Um, yeah. We've got Zaha there. Would you consider Zaha over Gallagher? I mean, is he going to be a, a legitimate option going forward? That's the problem with Palace and their attack at the moment. I think they're a little unpredictable because Vieira doesn't have a set front four. He's sort of playing horses for courses at the moment. He played Zaha up front against City. He's played Ben Teke up front and Edward on the left uh, against opposition that sits deep. Uh, sometimes he's played Zaha on the right as well. So we don't really know what he's going to be sticking with. And I can't, haven't really figured them. I got him Gallagher uh, a couple of days ago in my team because my budget cap was five, uh, 5.9 million. So it was between him and ESR. And I just liked uh, what I saw from Gallagher in terms of making those shadow runs into the box. And like we've mentioned earlier, he's not really a bad option at the price. But I wouldn't mind considering Zaha given the fixtures that Palace have. And you can't see Zaha being not playing at least 80-85 minutes week on week as a really fit player as well. So, good option. Good option. I just don't know if we've seen enough uh, to judge who's better. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think yeah. I think the price is a huge indicator, really. Five point... What is he? 5.7 for Gallagher? Nine. 5.9. point. So I mean that's that's pretty low risk to bring him in, and he's he's been getting the returns uh, mainly from yeah. assist potential, but um, his goals have been pretty decent as well. So I, I think he's a low risk pick. But if you're bold enough to yeah. go Zaha, then go for it. But I mean, just yeah. above to the left of him is is a man that probably is quite well owned in the FPL community. He's a Mr. Jamie Vardy, and um, there's a lot of obviously discontent about owning him um the fact that he went on that incredible run of form and then blanked consecutively in recent game weeks now Leicester have some good fixtures coming up after Chelsea this weekend what would you do if you owned Vardy would you keep him or just get rid I'd sell for Kane you'd sell for Kane I mean it's fair enough because his price bracket his price um bracket's pretty pretty high for for what he's doing at the moment um and we've got lots of opportunity to to make do, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be, I would be tempted to keep maybe just ride the luck a little bit longer. Um, Chelsea's a 
you never know. Jamie Jamie Vardy, you know, he scores against the bigger teams. I know Chelsea are rock solid at the back, but maybe people are going to be selling him too quickly. I can just see it. I can just see people selling him and then he's going to punish his owners with just a, a run of three or four games where he returns. Because his stats aren't bad. His stats aren't bad. Um, maybe it goes against what you what you think, but... Play maybe... the fixtures <laughs> as well. That's what I do. Always play the fixtures. That's yeah, all. Well, he's got some good fixtures. I mean, got, after Chelsea, he's got Watford, Southampton, Aston Villa, Newcastle in the next four. That's not Those really, are really good fixtures. Not a, not a bad um, set, and uh, I would be tempted to hold. Yeah. If, you, if you've yeah. got other five, Looking fight. At the... Yeah. I, I did not see those fixtures. I didn't know they were that good. Yeah. It's a fair hold if you've got other other fires to play. Yeah, interesting. Okay, um, we've got Tony there. That's going to be encouraging for people holding for Newcastle. Um, Rodrigo at Leeds. I mean, we talked about Leeds earlier and how Rafinha's assist potential was being dampened by maybe some uh, unclinical teammates. Does Rodrigo fall into that category for you? Yep. <laughs> but you were considering him a few weeks ago. I was considering, and I'm glad I didn't go in that way. Considering, I consider every player. It's about having an open <laughs> mind to everybody. But uh, didn't quite make the cut. No. Yeah, it's fair enough. I mean, he's not exactly yeah. um, set the world light, really. Um, yeah. But Trossard there. We talked about Trossard at Brighton. Um, lots of small attempts, and he does. He does really does fit the bill of a Rafinha character, actually. But incredibly talented and he's been scoring some decent goals recently um contrastly to Rafinha those goals have tended to be a little bit closer to goal um so big big chances converted so he could and be especially an... if he sorry go he's playing in that false nine position yeah uh, without Mopé in the team it's very interesting yeah I, I, the problem is that he's one of those players that I go he's got some good stats and then I'll just gloss over it and I'll never legitimately consider him. Uh, do you think that might be a mistake? Do we really need to sort of go, this price bracket needs a real consideration. We alluded to this 5 to 6.5 uh, price bracket. Could he be a con- in contention for a couple of our spots in our teams? If he plays the next two or three games in that percent position, yeah. Interesting. One to monitor then for yeah. sure. Yeah. Nathan Redman is a bit of a strange one. He's uh, similar stats to uh, Michael Antonio, and he's got, um, he's got a couple of results recently, kind of FPL returns. But again, one of those players that's sort of... It's not really appealing to own him in our FPL teams because you know that long-term, our experience of him, he's not sustainably good at FPL. So he just... They're much just, better picks... Much better picks at the price point. Yeah, don't even look at him. Exactly, but it, it's it's yeah. harsh to go. He's got some one of the best stats in the entire league at the moment, and just to completely rule him out, uh, might even be said about Harvey Barnes, who's next to him as well. He's hurt a lot of owners so far this season. Um, he's been scoring where people haven't owned him, and that's that's obviously completely annoying for people that have, have put the faith in him so far. But yeah, it is what it is. But it's with FPL sometimes. Um, is there anyone else you want to call out on this chart? No, I think we've covered pretty much everybody there is to talk about on this Wonderful. chart for sure. Well, let's move on and finish the video by talking about your bus team for game week 12 and what your transfer plans are. So let's move to that. So here we go. 3-5-2. Talk us through it. 
So my team in defense, I've got uh, Ramsdale, Trent, James, and Cancelo. Very comfortable with that. Not very comfortable with Livermento sitting for as first sub at the moment. In midfield, I've got Salah, who's my captain at the moment. I've got Diego Jota, Foden, Pumo, and Gallagher, who I sold, who I bought in for Kai Havertz just a couple of days ago, because he was close to a price rise. And up front, I have Avin Tony and Oba. My plan move after the England game is to get uh, Harry Kane in for a hit for Aubameyang and take things from there. Yeah, it's a decent set of moves, really. Um, yeah. Because we've been talking about Son and Kane all week and um, you're pulling the trigger and he's coming in. So, yeah, yeah. credit to you. I think um, your double Brentford against Newcastle, I really hope it pays dividends for you because they owe us, right? They owe us yeah. after we've put so yeah, much faith in them. <laughs> yeah. Especially but, those uh, old-standing Mbuemo owners, they deserve a lot more luck from him. Yeah, absolutely. Mark Southern set the yeah. precedent early on, didn't he? And... Um, along with uh, Ismail Assar. And uh, I think he was rewarded quite well early on with them. But since yeah. then, it's been a little bit quiet. But fingers crossed and Burma gets back to back to form. I think this weekend's a bit of an odd one because we've got some decent fixtures, as in decent matchups to physically watch on television. L- the likes of Chelsea versus Leicester, the likes of Everton versus Man City, Arsenal versus Liverpool. It's that the ultra elite sides versus the fourth to the ninth mid tables. And I think they're going to be interesting matchups, but then again, I don't think they necessarily warrant to be difficult fixtures because those could easily be any result. I'd say so for for attacking players, pretty high hopes, I'd say. Yeah. And the results are always a little bit weird in the first game week after the international break because well, because we don't know how much time or how much rest each player is. I think this time, it might not be as extreme because I think there are three games of, there are two sets of games instead of three in the international breaks. The most of the players are done by Monday, Tuesday, and most of the teams have four days with uh, their clubs, uh, which isn't too bad. In- instead of just having one or two days, so I don't think it might be so extreme this time round. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. I-, I think I think Man yeah. City's fixtures probably better than it is on paper we saw in that defense char that Everton were conceding loads of big chances so Man City and Foden who you've got the vice captain on might get a a good result there I'd say yeah let's hope so so Salah captain literally no level of doubt in your mind it's going to be Salah captain for you this week no he likes being against Arsenal too true true Arsenal can be a little bit leaky but um Like obviously, we've got Ramsdale in goal, counting on save points, right? Or a, <laughs> a Leicester masterclass again, maybe. Hopefully not, because we both own Salah Jota. Yeah, save exactly. Points. Counting on that, yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, let's have a look at my team, how I'm shaping up. Uh, with my minus eight last week, I'm thankfully not doing anything this week. Rolling the transfer... I think the team looks looks in decent shape. Vice captain is on Son. Uh, I'm not tempted to to captain the Spurs um, chap just yet, so it will be Captain Salah. Don't overthink it. Antonio and Jimenez are playing each other, so not not really sure what to expect in that game because Wolves have the capacity to turn it on, but then again, West Ham are in red hot form, so I really don't know what to expect. Uh, obviously, if they both get on the score sheet, I'll be incredibly happy. But likewise with you, I've got Ivan Tony, and hopefully that Newcastle game finally gets Brentford on the score sheet. Um, well, certainly in terms of Mbomo and Tony. But um, yeah, that Liverpool triple up looks appealing. Livermento on the bench against Norwich is definitely, as you've alluded to earlier, 
<laughs> worrying, but you never know. Someone it's else. Someone else might get benched. Maybe Cancelo gets the, gets his first rest of the season. Who knows? But always got to play the most attacking player, right? Um, especially in, def- in defence. Yeah. But yeah, pretty happy with that. Um, what's your biggest excitement about game week 12? What are you most looking forward to? Just the football's going to be back on? Just the football that's going to be back on. And I'm looking forward to 10 game weeks in 40 days. Just, it just it's, it's a good underrated part of the season to try and make ground on everybody else because people do struggle to keep up with the fast-moving fixtures so if you're paying close attention it's a good time to climb yeah 100 percent um for yeah. for an fpl fan this is a the greatest part of the year the best part of the year oh maybe not yeah. maybe the chips are the best part of the year but uh as a content creator it's a little bit hectic but i'm looking forward to it and um yeah, yeah bring on the football because we've had enough international breaks for one year right <laughs> yep 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 well, thank you very much for joining me, Pranil, and um, best of luck for game week 12. And um, yeah, I will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone, for joining wow. in the chat. And um, yeah, uh, great to have you on, Pranil. Um, I'll get you on in a, in a month or so again. <laughs> yep. It might Sounds be over good. Christmas. What day is it today? About 15th. Yeah, you free 15th. just before Christmas? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Why not? Nice one. Nice one. Well, we'll catch yeah. up then. Hopefully more green arrows to you and you'll be in the top top 10K by then. And to you as well. Hopefully uh, next time around, both of us are sitting around at least the top 10K. Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. Okay, all the best. See you guys.